Hi, my name is Dennis, and welcome to the Renewing Minds podcast, brought to you by Six Line Church. We're currently immersed in our series titled Dirt Matters, focusing on our faith. In one of his most renowned parables, Jesus emphasized the importance of good soil. He points out that not all soil is equal and that the same seed can produce varied outcomes depending on its planting environment. This parable underscores the profound significance of cultivating fertile ground, the heart or culture within the church. The church represents a collective of individuals whose hearts collectively shape the community's cultural fabric. Within a vibrant church culture, individuals find a secure and nurturing environment to explore and refine their identity in Christ. We firmly believe our values are pivotal in shaping the church's culture. Join us as we journey deeper into comprehending the importance of nurturing fertile ground within our church community by embodying our core values. So this morning we are continuing in our series, Dirt Matters, focusing on our faith. So in one of his most renowned or renowned parables, Jesus emphasized the importance of good soil. Right? He illuminates that not all soil is equal and that the same seed can produce varied outcomes depending on its planting environment. And so this parable really underscores the profound significance of cultivating fertile ground, right? which we believe is the heart or culture within the church. Because a church represents people whose hearts collectively shape the community's cultural fabric. And so within a vibrant church culture, individuals find a secure and nurturing environment to explore and refine their identity in Christ. We firmly believe that here at Six Line Church, our core values are pivotal in shaping the church's culture. And so, so far we've discussed experiencing God's love and grace, relying on God, and last week we looked at pursuing peace. This morning we're going to be examining following Jesus And this is how we describe this value. We value wholehearted obedience to Christ through the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit. Now, when we examine our core values, we're not saying we've arrived. What we're saying is that these values that we have is something that we aspire uh, aspire to. Something that we want to cultivate here at Six Line Church. Something that we want to be known by outside in the community by the presence or the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit. And I mentioned this disclaimer because when I was meditating on this particular value uh, of wholehearted obedience to Jesus, I'm not there yet. Because wholehearted obedience essentially means this, obeying completely and enthusiastically without holding back or doubting. Now, I I will admit that I'm not always enthusiastic about the way Jesus wants me to obey or, or, or withholding back or doubting and obeying Jesus and everything because I really want to handle all the situations and the relationships in my life my way, which usually benefits me because it's easier and more comfortable to do things my way. My struggle is when, when anyone hurts my loved ones in any way, love and forgiveness is not always what I want them to experience. And so when I come in contact with these individuals or I think about them, 
love and forgiveness is not always filling my heart. And I don't think I'm alone in thinking like this because I think it's difficult to respond to people in situations the way that Jesus would have us because our hearts don't automatically go there. We all know that one person who is very difficult to love. I bet you someone popped up in your mind. It's funny because it's true, right? It's so hard to forgive like Jesus forgives us. But here's the promise I want us to take away from this morning. By yielding our lives to Jesus, withholding nothing, Jesus assures us that the Holy Spirit will consistently empower us to navigate every circumstance in life. So let's pray before we open the text. Father, I just thank you for your written word because it leads us to your living word, Jesus. And Holy Spirit, this morning we ask you to inspire us with your written word as you inspired, uh, inspired Matthew to write it. Bring, to, bring your truth from it into our hearts that we may think about it and ponder it and process it and it become part of who we are as followers of Jesus. And so, Father, I just thank you and I praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. And so we're looking at the text from Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. I actually have them on, this, I'll have them on the screen because we're, they're just two verses. And here's what Matthew writes. He goes, enter by the, or this is what Matthew documents that Jesus is saying to the crowd. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. This, is, this passage is part of what's known as the Sermon on the Mount. It's Jesus' most famous sermon. But it's also his most challenging teaching to obey. And the reason why it's so challenging is because Jesus is sharing the ways of living with God's wisdom and will. But we don't want to live by God's wisdom and will. We want to live using our wisdom and our will for life. Because it's easier and more comfortable. Here are some of God's wisdoms and will that Jesus explains in this sermon. And if you ever want to read it, it's Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And so, for example, here's what he says to those who are marriage that look with lustful intent at others. And he's saying that when you do that, you've actually committed adultery. We always think that committing adultery is this physical connection that we have with someone outside our marriage. But Jesus is saying, when you look at someone with this lustful intent, you've committed adultery. It's exactly the same as the physical act. And the reason why is because our heart is no longer drawn to our spouse. Our, our spouse is no longer the treasure of our heart. It's someone else. Jesus also tells us in this sermon that being angry with another person is ranked up there with murder. Because when you are angry with someone, you wish them pain. You wish them, um, wish them harm. And even though you might never come to expressing that physically in your heart, you've already killed that person. Right? We think about cancel culture. We just write them off out of, out of our lives. And Jesus says this is wrong. 
Because so often in the way we, we, we don't live like this, because so often we want to define sin as an outward action. And Jesus tells us in his Sermon of the Mount that sin is a deep disposition of our heart. Last week, Melinda, during her uh, children's moment, she held up this really shiny, good-looking banana. And it looked really good. Even I was thinking, oh, that's a really good banana. And then she gave it to the kids, and the first thing the kids knew uh, uh, when she, they grabbed it was that it was a fake banana. Even though it looked great on the outside, inside it was hollow. And so sometimes we think that the actions that we do on the outside might look really good and impressive and inspiring. But in our heart, is such a far distance from our actions because we don't live that in our heart. We're just doing that to maybe impress people. So we need to understand this about sin. See, sin is when we don't love God and others like we should. This is what it means that we're missing the mark or the goal. This is what we are supposed to aim for in our, in our humanity is to love God and to others the way God wants us to. And the reason why we don't is because we're driven by our selfish desires which make us prioritize ourselves over others. And so this selfish behavior causes a ripple effect in damaging our relations, not only with ourselves, but with others and with God. And when Jesus is kind of closing off this sermon, he says this, he says, enter by the narrow gate. Who is Jesus speaking here? Or who was Jesus speaking to here? He's speaking to his disciples. At the beginning of the sermon, we hear that Jesus goes up this mountain and his disciples follow him. Yes, there is a crowd that's out there and that can hear Jesus' teaching, but Jesus is talking directly to his disciples. And so within these verses, we kind of can unpack and discover what the life is like as a follower of Jesus. And Jesus is telling his disciples to make sure they enter through the narrow gate. Because this is the way you must go to experience life with God. And so this narrow gate, what does it mean? It means that it's a personal choice. You can't bring people with you. It's too narrow. You have to make the decision to either follow Jesus or not to follow Jesus. And it's a narrow gate, which also means that it has a narrow focus. The focus is Jesus and Jesus alone. Here is where this, uh, this passage becomes challenging for us. Because what Jesus is saying is that I am the only way to God. And we want to protest that. What about the other religions or the philosophies or worldviews out there? Do they not also lead to God? Do they not also lead to a better life? And, and people say, well, what about, this sounds so exclusive. If Jesus is full of love, why is he being so exclusive? And Jesus is not being exclusive. Anyone can come by the narrow gate. Jesus doesn't stop anyone. It's our choice to make. The way that Jesus, we would see Jesus as being exclusive is in the way you come to God. 
And so when I have those conversations with others who, who say that, well, what about all these other ways? What I do is I try to identify a common ground which often centers around there's something wrong with us and there's something wrong with the world. We know that the world is broken and we are broken internally and externally. And we can see that evidence throughout the world when we see the wars and how we treat one another. And we go back through history to the present day of how we treat other people. We know that there's something wrong. And so what we do is we try to develop these these rules or these philosophies or these belief systems in order to make it right what we know is wrong. And when we actually look at these different belief systems and dig deeper, we'll find that essentially at their core, they're all alike. They rely on the ideal that our redemption, what is going to save us, are our own efforts, our own merits. We think that if we're doing a certain action that we've deemed as good, we can make up for all the wrongs or solve all the issues in our lives. And so here are some of the challenges with this type of thinking. The first one is that we decide what's good. We determine what is good. This in itself demonstrates that we fail to love God and others because we are actually working for our own benefit at the expense of others when we personally decide what is good. When we're going through our house and we're shuffling through all the stuff that we have and we think we come to an item that eh, maybe we don't value it as much as we used to, we make this decision. We say, hey, do we throw it out? Or do we give it away to some organization to help those in need, those who are struggling? And when we do this, this makes us feel better because that's, we've determined that this is a good thing. And so we think that our old worn out shoes with the missing laces is good enough for someone in need. But is it really the best that we can offer? Is this really what this other person requires? in their time of struggle or need. Another problem with this mindset is that the teachers or guides who promote it as a path, of, a path to God can't assure your success in reaching that goal. Even they are unaware of what lies beyond this life. They themselves struggle to fully love God and others being driven by their own selfish desires that they too often lead to harming others. And so this is why Jesus says the gate is wide and the way easy that leads to destruction. And the reason why it's wide and easy and leads to destruction is because all the ideals and choices that we make selfishly appeal to our immediate desires and gratifications without considering the long-term consequences. These choices might seem attractive and effortless at first, but they can lead us away from what is truly good and meaningful in the long term. They, they, they can involve shortcuts or avoidance of responsibility or indulgence in harmful behaviors that ultimately harm ourselves and others. Turning a blind eye to the suffering or struggle 
uh, of those around us. We may choose to prioritize our own comfort and convenience over extending help or support to others who are in need, thus failing to fulfill our duty to love our neighbors as ourselves. Indulging in behaviors that are harmful to ourselves and others, such as gossiping and slander and, or engaging in destructive habits like substance abuse and, or addiction. These actions not only damage our relationship with God, but also hurt those around us. We're seeking validation and approval from the world instead of aligning ourselves with God's will leading to compromising our beliefs and values to fit or gain acceptance from others, distancing ourselves from God and failing to be authentic witness to his love and truth. Or maybe we're pursuing ambitions or, and personal goals at the expense of others, such as seeking power or fame or success without regard for the well-being of those we may trample upon to, uh, or exploit in the process. And the reason why we repeatedly engage in this selfish behavior is because we can't alter, we can't change our hearts. We will always struggle to suppress the selfish desires that drives us to prioritize our own interests over God's and others. Paul says this in Romans, he says, The trouble with me, for I am the slave to sin. I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyways. And this is lies at the core of the problem and why we struggle to love God and others. And loving others and loving God is connected. You cannot separate the two. John writes this in his first letter. He says, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God whom he has not seen. This is why the gate is narrow. Jesus is the only one that has the power to mend and heal the deep-seated brokenness within us. Only He can reshape our hearts, enabling us to genuinely love God and others as we were intended to, as we were created to do, restoring us to our true humanity, reflecting the image in which we were originally created. The narrow gate and the difficult path, although, although challenging, lead to life, because they involve making choices that align our choices with God's will and wisdom on how to live. And God's wisdom and will will always conflict with our wisdom and will. And since Jesus is the only one with the power to mend our deep-seated brokenness, Jesus, our creator, became fully human and lived a life without failing to love God and others meaning he lived sinlessly. However, he took on the responsibility for human's history of failures. He selfishly lived for others and ultimately sacrificed his life for our sins. And through his resurrection, he offers the gift of his life to cover our failures 
In the words of the apostles, here's what they said. That he did not sin, yet he bore the sins of, in his body on the cross so that we might be free from sin and live righteousness. And so this resurrection and death uh, that Jesus went through broke the barrier that was between us and God. Allowing God to send us his Holy Spirit to dwell in us so that he can do the whole makeover in our hearts. I really love how C.S. Lewis describes his makeover. He says this, imagine yourself as a living house. Holy Spirit comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps you can understand what he's doing. He's getting the drains right and stopping the leaks in the roof. You knew that those jobs needed doing, so you're not surprised. But presently, he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts awkwardly and does not seem to make any sense. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is that he's building quite a different house from what you thought of. He's throwing out a new wing here, putting on an extra floor here, there, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought you were being made into a decent little cottage, but he's building a palace. And this is why we receive the Holy Spirit, is to transform us into the image of Christ, the image that we were created in, to, to fully be able to fully love God and love others. This is why Jesus tells his apostles in John, he says, but when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. And so by yielding our lives to Jesus, withholding nothing, Jesus assures us that Holy Spirit will consistently empower us to navigate every circumstance in life. So allowing God's Holy Spirit to come and take up residence in us so that as we travel through this life, we will continually, He will continually guide us in the truth of Jesus, in the ways and the wisdoms, a wisdom of God, so that we can fully love God and love others so deeply with the desires that will compel us to act for the benefit of others, which will lead us to this chain reaction of relational healing. This is why Jesus is our Savior. He's saving us from our own destructive ways. And he wants to lead us to life. A life that is flourishing. A life of shalom. See, the reason why we value following Jesus is because we value wholehearted obedience to Jesus because he is the only one who wholeheartedly loves us completely and enthusiastically without holding back or doubting. We as a church, uh, we as a church is our church that with Jesus in the center with a singular focus on him in all aspects of our, our ministries at Six Line Church. Everything we do, every decision we make is funneled in, through the lens of who Jesus is and what he has done for us and where he wants us to go. Because he's the one we wholeheartedly follow and obey through the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your word this morning. We ask you, Holy Spirit, that, that you just work in our lives, always continuing to empower us, 
and guide us to the truth of Jesus and who he is and how we are supposed to live. I just pray this for Six Line Church, that we would be a church that um, places Jesus at the center of everything in our lives, our marriages, our families, our workplaces, even those times that we uh, are having fun, that everything is wrapped around Jesus. And so, Father, I just thank you and I praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information about Six Line Church, please visit our website. Remember to like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram and TikTok.